Hey everybody, this is Chris and Jason from Silver Solutions Podcast. Join us as we chat with people from around the globe as they share their real life stories of recovery. If you like what you hear, please like and subscribe so you can easily find us and our latest episodes. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 61. And tonight we're going to be talking about asking for help. And we have a great guest with us tonight, Ben C. from Rhinebeck, New York. Ben, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's so good to see you. Um, I got a chance to meet you in the rooms in New York about, gosh, 10 years ago now. I can't believe it. And my journey has been up and down since then. Fortunately, over the last two and a half years, it's remained pretty steady, but it's so nice to reconnect with you. It's really nice to reconnect with you too. Yeah, I can't believe that was 10 years ago. It's been 10 years since I've been off the sauce. So it's been a pretty amazing journey. And it feels really cool and full circle to have you ask me to be here tonight. So I'm grateful to be of service and everybody listening. That's awesome. Well, you know, I know a little bit about you and your story, but for our listeners, why don't you share a little bit about yourself? Well, you may know me best as the dude you're getting a Dell guy. I was the spokesperson for Dell computers from years 2000 to 2003. And through my journey, I actually was brought back to work with Dell 20 years later. This was just last year. And so um, I'll tell you a little bit about that journey because it really involves asking for help and um, it really involves recovery too. So I was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I was born and raised there, um, yet in a family of very, very progressive people. So we were just, it was very, we were black sheep down there. Uh, I was really taught to go after my dreams. And I realized at an early age, I was also taught to ask for help. Both of my parents had been in therapy. I've been in therapy probably since I was a little kid. Cause when I was first, I remember the first time I got really uh, depressed, I, I tried cigarettes for the first time when I was 10. And I remember asking my mom to go to therapy. She would always encourage me to talk about my feelings. And I got really, really picked on for this. It was a really sensitive guy. And my father was a priest. He was a he was a very charismatic preacher and very artistic. He later became the first openly gay priest in the Southern Diocese of uh, Tennessee. And so it was really amazing to have parents like that. But also in the South, it was uh, very controversial at that time. But it was so cool to have parents like that. So that was this upbringing because I was in the deep south. I'm definitely a southern boy, but I also had these really kind of revolutionary family members. Um, and we also traveled a lot. They taught me to ask for help and do what I love. However, for some reason, I was the only person in my family to really struggle with substances. I think my parents, they struggled with codependency a lot. Obviously, there was a lot hidden in their marriage that my father wasn't able to be out for a long time. And there was a lot of lies that were there. And I think probably some emotional abuse that I wasn't aware of, but I definitely didn't have boundaries at all. Uh, that wasn't in my vocabulary. And I became really good at kind of shifting and reading situations in order to survive. And that's, I think, why I became a great actor. And, you know, I had a good ear for music and accents. Um, 
but I, I knew how to respond in situations so that I felt safe. And what I realized is I don't know what was going on in my household and there was no physical abuse, but I realized in hindsight, I didn't always feel safe. That's actually the kind of stuff I started to attract, even as an artist. Um, I was a, I was a musician too, and I got a lot of success as a musician. And I mentioned the Dell thing because I got, um, I moved to New York and I followed my dreams and I became an actor and professionally, and I went to NYU and I got an acting scholarship and I got a lot of success, but I did not know how to hold on to it. So my self-esteem and my codependency was so high. I thought if I had success, if I had money, I, I'd be okay. And it just was so much worse because I just had so much more access to drugs and alcohol. And I also lived in, I moved into ground zero. Once I first made some money, I was still going to NYU, my dream school. I was getting so famous through the Dell thing and I'd moved there. And then I had did this profound, um, I did this course um, at Landmark Education and it was a phenomenal personal growth and development course. And I did it in the World Trade Center two weeks before 9-11. And I had a lot of really incredible, incredible sort of awakenings that weekend, one of which was, you know, what parts of my relationships really mattered to me. And I saw that there's stuff to deal with with my father and there's stuff to deal with with myself that I had not dealt with. My father came to help me because soon after that was 9-11, like two weeks later. And suddenly I was famous. I was doing radio interviews. I was trying to go to school. I was trying to have relationships and traveling the country and doing auditions and things. And I just, I couldn't hold on to any of it. And my self-esteem was just, it, it was crumbled. It was out. And um, I literally felt like I was going to die after 9-11. I just, I could not hold on to anything. I could not hold on to sobriety, relationships, finances, anything. I just, my money, I was like bleeding money and bleeding self-esteem. Um and trying to put like drugs and alcohol on it. And um, I think it's partly, you know, I don't want to blame my family. I think our parents always do the best they can. But I, I would say most of us, especially in our generation, my parents' parents went through the depression and were taught to keep so much of this down. And in the South, I mentioned the Southern thing because we were supposed to look so happy on the outside. And what I remember as a kid, a lot of it was happy, but thank God I have an older sister because I've started to grow up with these things in therapy. I'm like, why do I have abandonment issues? And my therapist is like, I don't know, ask your parents. I'm like, mom, you really loved me, didn't you? And she was like, actually, I really resented you the first couple of years you were born. I did not get you give you the love you probably needed. And then, you know, my dad was there, but he was dealing with his skeletons and his closet. And ultimately, I just was trying to fill my soul with anything else I could. And people became really my drug of choice, like drugs and alcohol. That stuff was all fun, but it was about like having the love and validation. And if I didn't feel okay, maybe other people would. So I was always trying to like date up. And, um, and that was kind of how I asked for help. Like you help me, you save me, you save me. And, and thank God, um, this woman sat me down and what I thought was a relationship was going great. We just had this like amazing week in New Orleans and like, and I was even like, that was way too much drinking for me, you know, but we came back and she said, you're really just so selfish and such a victim. And you're just like destroying. It's like, it's like we're trying to both swim to an Island together and 
yet like you're holding on to me and, and you're drowning and you're trying to hold on to me and now I have to swim us both to the island. And that really hit me. And I, I didn't take that well that night, but I thanked her in an amends years later because um, she was absolutely right. I only really knew how to take hostages. You know, I only really knew how to ask other people to try to save me. And um, it was really an asking for help that I, I finally said enough. I couldn't even keep the fame and success. My manager, I don't even remember this, but my manager said that Steven Spielberg called her directly at one point. He was so interested in working with me. And I was just what you'd call a hot mess. I mean, and trying to keep it a secret, but I have my agent from this time still won't talk to me, like won't take my amends. But you know what? I'm today through my commitment. I've now been 10 years without drugs and alcohol. And it's because I was willing to ask for help. And I had relapse as part of my story. You know, I think it's really common. I think we're human and it's still a day at a time. And the first thing I tried to get off of was cannabis because I had so many pothead friends and it wasn't legal. And that was something I was arrested for. Um, and I became more famous. I guess a lot of people don't know about it, but it was in the headlines back then. So if you Google me, that's really what you find out about a lot. Um, cause that was hot news and I use it today. I, I ended up taking the headline. We were talking about all this stuff on my wall earlier, but you can't see this. And um, for those of you listening, I'm, this is strictly for the enjoyment of the host, but this is the original. I'm holding a framed original cutout from the newspaper from the day. I, I was still in jail when this came out. This is my mug shot. It says, dude, you're getting a cell. Because the tagline was, dude, you're getting a Dell. And uh, there's this tiny bit of weed and I was arrested. My dad actually was like, well, at least he called me. He's like, at least he got arrested in style. He was he was so sweet. He could have been like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But I was in a kilt. And so my Scottish girlfriend was visiting. It was my friend's birthday. who had taken me to Scotland. So we were wearing our kilts together. And we were in New York City in the Lower East Side. This was after 9-11. I was not well at this time. And I had a lot of money. And um, I had like some you know, some herb, some weed being delivered. And except this was like my backup delivery service. So these guys came on a bicycle and I had to go outside instead of getting in a car. It was way shader and I needed change. Well, next thing I knew, the cab driver beside us locked us both up, like was an undercover cop following him. And I was just the culprit in, in the kilt. <laughs> and I had no underwear because it's like we're trying to do it like proper scottish style as knee knickers it's like no underwear so um thank god my other best friend who was there he's like the son of a um baltimore criminal defense attorney and he was like he's there with a skirt no underwear we gotta get a pants and underwear stat he like took before they even went to see me he went to my apartment brought me pants brought him to the to the police station and they're like what's you need these for and he's like well he's like uh real scots they're like what's that mean he's not wearing underwear like oh jesus they put me in a cell by myself but i'm telling you this all because i ended up making a play called dude you're getting a cell and i did a 20 minute excerpt as a one-man show it was never completed 
but I did a pretty powerful excerpt of it that you can watch on YouTube. And um, yeah, I think it's called Dude, You're Getting Salt. Either that or Dude, You're Going to Hell. It was like 10 years ago. I got to look this up. It's one of the two. But uh, I really tried to repurpose that and I owned it and I just stayed sober. And now I'm in a band with my wife. And, um, you know, I thought I was gay for a while too. And in sobriety, I got to like, explore myself and it was in that time that i met my wife and i was like well i don't know i love you you know let's go for it like i i i i finally allowed myself to just be free and be myself and take myself out of all boxes and now i'm an amazing relationship and i embrace my sensitivity and my femininity and my masculinity and i'm in a band with my wife and it's really sexy and sassy and we tour the country and I'm about tomorrow to go lead a retreat in Costa Rica with all these people I knew from recovery. And it's a wellness retreat for musicians. It's doing what I love. It's guitar, yoga, and surfing. I'm teaching uh, yoga and meditation every day. And then after that, I'm going to officiate a wedding for my bandmate. And now I have like a podcast called Dude, You're Getting Well. I run a program for men called Dude School to help men learn from each other in a safe space that I lead, uh, where we talk about different themes that men deal with in masculinity and in today's society, all the programming we have. That's what I love now. I teach it 24 seven. I still go to meetings. I still, I coach full time. I still act. I still play music and I don't do it alone. And so I just want to end with this, that really the whole theme of my life really up until this point and the dude, you're getting a cell thing is that, and even with the play, the idea is that we're in this cell but we're the only ones like you can just walk out whenever you want but we like keep trying to go to every other part of the cell like ah, be out of here and it's like literally all you got to do is push but sometimes we haven't been given the right tools to see the way out or we've been given like a, a an old key or a broken key. And we just really need to like go back to basics and start with some self-care because I, I believe we can set ourselves free. It's the freedom from suffering. I don't think life is without pain. And I've just lost my father who was my best friend. And, and grief has really taught me to open my heart and to help more people and reach out to more men, especially because I didn't have that growing up. And to learn that recovery can just be asking for help. And even in asking for help, especially when asking for help, we suddenly open ourselves to receive unbelievable gifts that we can't see from here. And sometimes, you know, just like they say in recovery, asking for help can be the greatest gift you give someone. It's a really, it's an honor to be asked for help, especially today. I want to close with this suicide and mental health illness is on the rise men still have the highest rate of suicide because we've not been taught that we're allowed to ask for help women statistically have a little bit more but they still have to live in a world mostly run by men so no matter who you are asking for help i believe is one of the sexiest most amazing things that you can do and none of us the most successful people you see in the world have so much help the more successful they are, the more help they probably have. So, you know, it just, you don't have to do this alone. And I think that's the biggest thing to remember. I had to ask for help and like cry and ask my wife for a hug like an hour ago because I was having a breakdown trying to get ready to leave the country. And sometimes it's like, that's all we need.
you know, just ask for, for that one thing. So, um, thank you all for letting me share all that. And, and I hope that this helps someone too. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate you walking us through that. And that's such a powerful message from your story. And, you know, my heart goes out to you about the loss of your father and just everything that you've gone through over the last 10 years. I think one of the most powerful things that you said for me was how sexy asking for help is. Now I get that. But at the same time, I grew up like you did. I grew up in this very Stepford family that don't show emotion, don't cry, don't ask for help. That's not how things are done. My parents were clinical providers, but didn't really believe in that mental health therapy space. And I just remember so many times how I would shy away from asking for help for myself but always be the one to jump in when someone asked me for help, but I never asked for it for myself. So I guess one of my questions for you is like, where did you find that courage to ask for help that first time? Your world as you knew it was going a million miles an hour. It was starting to either fall around you or you felt like you were trying to hold it up in so many places, but where did you find that inner strength to ask for that help the first time? I'll just say a higher power. I try to really, you know, not think about what I'm going to say and listen for what, uh, you know, maybe a higher power reveals to me. And something that was shown is just this vision of when um, I was waiting for a Coke dealer to come. And at this point, I like, I had like a pretty good service dialed in. And this is probably like five something in the morning on a weekday. Like it was one of those days I knew I like this was really bad. And like I had to do school that day, probably and interviews that morning, I'm sure. And I hadn't been to sleep yet. And the dealer was late and the sun was up and I lived in Wall Street and, you know, ground zero was right there and people were still going to work and you could still smell it. And I had to close the blinds at night, but the church bell rang and I remember looking up because I lived right next to an Episcopal church. And to me, that was like God, like my higher power, like ringing my bell, like, like, what is it going to take for you to wake up? I've really had to be hit over the head pretty hard, like by life, physically and energetically and emotionally to ask for help in the past. And I still had a like pretty heavy handed things lately, but I think it's always felt divine when I receive it. So I think it's just the being willing to. And honestly, you know, being in a place where I was so, where I felt like I was dead, I was dying. So now the work that I do with, with a healer and with my own meditation and in, in my recovery is practicing like reparenting myself and letting myself know that I am going to be okay and I can't ask for help, that this is a good thing and that I don't have to suffer in order to receive help. I think that's what I was trying to say this whole time is that I'm practicing that I don't have to be in such so much pain in order to ask for help. So part of the reason why I wanted to say ask for help today is because it's like, yeah, I need to practice as much as possible. It's a muscle. Even if I don't for a while, it, it gets weak quickly. So thank you for asking that. And when you were talking, it, it was kind of very nostalgic because I remember 
vicarious. Like I just remember living during that period and kind of watching the highs and the commercials were amazing. And then kind of how the public image just attacked you. What's crazy now is that's legal. It's not like you were copying hair, you know, it's legal right now. And beyond the financial hit, yeah, I just remember living that. And Honestly, I can't put words in your in your mouth, but it started you on a journey of recovery, right? And I identify a lot. I recently lost my father uh, too, and I think I'm just starting to process that and work through the grief. Uh, I recently started doing step work, and one thing that I do on a daily basis now is pray. And you were talking about a higher power. And it is amazing how when I actively pray, I'm just starting to see his power all over. You know, I'll, I'll notice a smile on my daughter or I'll notice a license plate and get that message and just all forms of communication. And one thing that I really like that you said is you can always walk out of the cell at any time. You just need the correct tools, right? So what I'm interested in is kind of your development of those tools and what tools do you have in your uh, toolbox, your arsenal? You know, you mentioned a healer. I don't think I've ever met anyone that actually used a healer. And I think that's amazing because I've heard about them. I just never was introduced. So what tools do you really have and use on a daily basis? And kind of how did you get to that point? That's a great question. How I got there is a whole nother podcast. Um, but that's, you know, it's kind of what I told you guys. By the way, I didn't get sober till 10 years later. I, I got arrested two more times. It's so interesting how life works out and still like didn't get sober for a little bit. Um, so how did I get to having those tools? I want to say, so here's one of my tools. I mean, I went to a lot of meetings. I listened to a lot of people anything that was personal growth or development oriented, even on my worst hangover days, I went to a yoga class the next day, I wanted to, to learn about yoga, I saw people getting injured. And I was like, these yoga teachers don't really know what they're doing here. You know, I could tell there was a like, I wanted to go deeper, I wanted more. And I was an athlete as well. So I played soccer for a long time, I played a lot of sports. And so I think moving my body was always part of my self care was built in. So I think that's one thing that's always been really important to me. Like even when I smoked cigarettes for a while, I could only smoke so much or for so many years before my lungs were like, ah, you got to start running again, you know, or uh, getting back in yoga class. And I got so enthralled with it and I actually ended up having a, a yoga teacher that I met in a meeting and I didn't even like her at first, but we became best friends. And she was like, you're going to take my class. I was like, oh, okay. She helped me so much and took me under her wing and I became a certified yoga instructor. I, she was like, I was looking for more spiritual school and she was like, honey, you're spiritual enough. And she was right. I had that from my father. So I think yoga was a big tool. It gave me a discipline. It's very similar to the 12 steps and movements and form. And um, But the postures are only one eighth, one branch of yoga. And there's uh, the meditation, there's the breath, there's the um, the sutras, there's there's all these different parts of it. And so I've applied all of those things to my life today. And I, and I became a personal trainer. 
And uh, then I started doing sound healing. And so I play all these different instruments that are very healing for me. Um, I like instruments that are vibratory. So any stringed guitars, banjo, harmonica, I have a didgeridoo. I like to beat on drums. Um, I have a trampoline. So um, now I, I think through like self-care and studying like all of that, like fitness and stuff, um, but wanting to go deeper and deeper with people personally, finding recovery. And I've always been a searcher of spirituality. I mean, I've been studying Thich Nhat Hanh for like 20 years before anyone knew who he was. And then he was like famous, and then he died and he's still getting big. But he and Pema Chodron are two Buddhist monks that really brought me a lot of healing and early recovery because I didn't really know how to sit with myself or love myself. And meditation was really uncomfortable for me. And so many people think they can't meditate. And so many of my sponsees were like, I can't meditate. And I'm like, let me guess, your brain does a lot of stuff. Like, yeah, well, that's natural, right? This is all programming. It's all programming. We've been running these records for so long. And so I've just, I've learned from so many coaches and Landmark led me to other, um, different kinds of coaching modalities and i've i've studied with people in the jungle naked in the jungles of costa rica i've done like deep soul work with people in circles bearing our darkest secrets it's like ninth steps on steroids like it's like your sex inventory like bleeding out in front of everyone and healing together and i started to see it was in groups too that we do all this incredible healing like, no wonder recovery is so powerful, because when it's witnessed by other people, you know, you're in a marriage, you're not supposed to do it alone. That's the reason you invite all these people to your wedding to be like, hey, we're holding you accountable to help us. Anyway, it just it led to me wanting to be a therapist because I realized I've been in therapy like 20, 30 years. My mom teaching me to to talk about my feelings and be proud of being an emotional boy when I was young, young, young it was an incredible tool I had. So I just started talking about these and people said this is a gift and I didn't want to be a therapist so I kind of naturally became a coach it, mostly coaching for me has been about supporting other people and being their greatest self and not giving them anything they don't have but offering tools for self-care and that's usually like eating well and looking at sleep habits and doing what you love and having joy and practicing time alone and stillness all of these things so teaching is also a really big part of my self-care. It really holds me accountable. I lead men's groups because these men also hold me accountable and carry me. They pull me to show up on the days when I want to hide. I remember last thing I'll say is going to meetings was um, in person, <laughs> like back then in the old ages. But it was so scary because there's so much love in the room for me. And I know people who have enjoyed getting sober virtually like this because they don't have to be there in person, but it's that we need people. We're designed, we're humans, we co-regulate our nervous systems with each other. Our hearts are way more intuitive than our brains. So I really take time to tune in my heart and connect with someone every single day. And so coaching, recovery, all my first ever sponsee is now a coach. He offered me a coaching session for my birthday the other day. And I was like, oh, buddy, I just want to hang out with you. I'm good. You know, I've done enough coaching today. But I thought, what a gift that he wants to offer me all the tools he's learned. Because maybe there's something we can offer each other. And these are all the tools. I got way more, but I'm excited. And I just like, I love to talk about this stuff all day. I don't think we can talk about self-care enough. I teach it in even corporate environments now. All this stuff helps me take care of myself.
No, I appreciate it. I mean, it's amazing. And I could just see the excitement and how it's just integrated, how it is part of your life. You could just see it coming through you. It's just emulating through your words. Thank you. And and I also have a lot of accountability buddies. You know, I I do. I've got a lot of friends. And the reason I'm in a band and not just solo is because it's like, it's way harder to do it alone. So much more magical when we involve other people. Just like recovery. So Ben, in the last couple of minutes that you were just talking, you kept talking about people. You said, we need people. You were talking about group healing. You even mentioned at your wedding, you don't do it alone, but you have all of these people around you who love you and support you. And earlier on in your introduction, you said that people became your drug of choice. Mm-hmm. And I love to see the difference of how people, when you were active in your addiction, were these things that you just ran after and tried to go get. And you talked about this woman who said that you're both swimming from an island and, and she's drowning because you're hanging on to her so tight. And now you're finding so much freedom in being with people and how has that changed when did you see that change and how do you see that really as a crucial piece to your recovery because for me my community is what has held me up in those moments where i couldn't hold up myself and Mm -hmm. i think relationships are so crucial in my recovery and i just want to know how that relates for you well, I think these are great points. I mean, it's like, how did the very thing that was my drug become the very thing that healed me, right? But what I also mentioned in, along there was the self-care. And I think once I, and I, and then I, I learned about boundaries, right? So those didn't exist much in my relationships in the past, in that time when I was with that person. And so I think a lot of it, that I learned in recovery and one of the tools I love in Al-Anon, they say, uh, we'll love you until you learn to love yourself. At the end of the meetings, although you may not like all of us, you'll learn to love us in a very special way, the same way we already love you. And so that really stuck with me. I learned in recovery that I didn't know how to love myself. I had these some of these tools, like as long as I was pouring alcohol on it, the antidepressants don't work very well. The anti-anxiety medication just becomes like a tranquilizer, all these things. You know, I actually got off all these medications in recovery. I ended up even like my therapist and I felt like we kind of graduated from each other. At some point I was doing so well. And I think um, a lot of it was about, is about boundaries, which is comes back to ourself. And so I literally had to learn how to love myself. And I think a lot of the steps are designed for us to do that. We have to be careful of beating ourselves up. I hear that a lot in recovery, like I'm a piece of shit at the center of the universe and like, you know, smashing our egos, but also like we really, I needed way more compassion. And I think that's available. I went to those men who had compassion and who were the criers and and they came to me and they're like, your tears are beautiful, man. They're inspiring me. And so I started to be like, oh, Oh, my sensitivity is like, oh, this is like my superpower. And in recovery, I was like, like I started to own this. So that's why I was like, oh, I can hang out with the gay guys. It's all good. Like 
I can try this on for a while and um, I can try this or I can take, I can, I can take off all the labels and just like be myself and explore. And I, so I think it was really about giving myself permission to fully be myself and then just have boundaries with what doesn't, didn't work for me. Right. And the kind of relationships. And once I started developing boundaries for myself and my self care and things that I loved, I learned to love about myself and celebrate myself and take the boxes off. It allowed, I started attracting other people with healthier boundaries, right? So my relationships weren't about um, need, right? That false, you complete me thing. They were about when we're taking care of ourselves, that's when we have something to offer other people. So I actually work with a lot of dads because there's so many, um, so many of us are burned out with our jobs or our kids but we would do anything for them, but we wouldn't, or even for our job, but we wouldn't do that for ourselves. So I'm a big believer in starting to nurture ourselves the way that we've always dreamed of nurturing other people or other people nurturing us. And that I think creates really healthy relationships so that we don't need other people to do that for us. We learn how to self-soothe. I didn't know how to do that for most of my life. Yeah, that's beautiful. You're talking a lot about carrying the message, a lot of step 12. I would like to hear if you could talk a little about your podcast and I guess any other ways that you kind of carry your message of recovery to other people. Yeah, sure. So my podcast definitely is that. It's called Dude, You're Getting Well. And I interview quote unquote, successful people, people who have really made a difference in their field. And that's artists and singers and actors and musicians and comedians and coaches and speakers and health nuts and men and women and everyone in between. And uh, I even had this guy recently who's like not about emotion or feelings or like spirituality, like at all. He, he's the founder of Spartan and Tough Mudder. His name's uh, Joe DeSena. He's incredible. He's, um, and <laughs> I went for a run yesterday because of him. But I, I really like to try to find all kinds of different guests similar to you all and see how people take care of themselves. But I also interview them and ask them about their struggles. It's like being a human doing this. Like, what do we not know about what you deal with? You know, and there's that famous quote Jim Carrey said, I wish everyone could be famous and successful so they know that that's not what this is all about, right? It doesn't, it doesn't answer it. So that podcast is really a big way. I have a lot of meditations and videos online for self-care and self-esteem and reparenting and healing. And, oh, you asked another tool and you talked about Theta. Uh, you mentioned healers, right? So I do have a healer. I am also a healer. I've been certified in Theta healing and it's a form of meditation and healing practice that I found to be extremely effective in shifting my mindset and working with the energy that I have and the energy all around us. So I offer a lot of my services now. I coach a lot of different kinds of people and I work with men specifically on a sliding scale because of how many men and single fathers I have and I work with. I started Dude School as an awesome community and I have a private free community page where we interact, but I have programs that I run there and I'm, I'm launching my next one in two weeks. I'm really excited about it and uh, I'm making it super affordable. And um, I, uh, I really just want to help people and I want this to be as accessible as possible to everybody. So the, that's a, that's another way I do it. Also, 
Um, my music is another way I really carry the message with people. My band Dirty May uh, has a lot of songs about um, dancing with the dark and the light. And as an actor, as a speaker now, I'm now speaking internationally. I just spoke at a trauma conference about healing your childhood trauma. And I spoke about my journey from self-sabotage to self-care and success just by asking for help and learning to practice tools of self-care again, of self-love. And I'm really starting to love that. So I, I love to speak and teach and give back any way I can. I'm leading this retreat this week and uh, officiating weddings. And oh, and I have another podcast too called Wake Up Wednesdays that I do with that healer friend, actually, the guy who initially um, was my, my teacher, Daniel Tuttle. He's incredible, the provocative, intuitive. We ended up becoming um, really good friends and we're very yin yang. So it was like all his clients are women and all mine are men. So we came together and um, we really, we have a lot of, he has a very astrology, spiritual perspective and mine has been more recovery and, and wellness. And so we, we combine those. And so together we, I'm just always looking for ways to explore and offer tools to people. And I post videos almost every day to try to help someone or make someone laugh and uh, really carry the message that way. Also teach seminars. I forgot about that as well. And workshops. Um, I do that with a lot of corporate environments too. So I coach in both companies and individuals. And it's mostly on self-care, stress management, burnout, and it's all the same principles. It's making time for our wellness. So we ask all of our guests, this recovery podcast is really for people who are early on in their journey or who have years of recovery behind them. But we ask, what's one piece of advice that you would give our listeners, whether they're early on or just looking for that bit of spark again? Have more fun, like move towards the light, go where it's warm, ask for help, do something that scares you every day. I think asking for help and giving yourself a little bit more love and compassion today are the two greatest things we can do. Because even my friends remind me to have more fun, you know, to take life a little less seriously. It's short and literally every breath is a gift. Tomorrow isn't promised, nor is the next breath. So I, I really think we get to, we get to be here. So it's about reminding myself. And I think it's important to remember that you are a gift. We are a gift. We get to be here. That doesn't mean you have to do anything with your life, but you get to. And if it's not about you, go ask for help. Go help someone else, right? There's someone else who, who loves you, who loves your light, or who loves your darkness. So I think just opening ourselves up to that. I love that. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming on tonight. It was really great seeing you. And I know that I got a lot out of what you were talking about. I really resonated with your connection back to people, but also how starting to love yourself really opened you up to that and how asking for help can really be that powerful moment in your life. So thanks so much for sharing your story with us tonight. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me and being such a generous listeners and audience and getting to, to share all this with you all. I hope it's helped someone today. It helped me. So thank you. My pleasure.
And as always, each and every one of our episodes is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a great night, guys. Have a great night. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.